as we've been talking about in our series, service is what love looks like. The Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about what love feels like, but it talks about what love looks like, and love looks like service, and that's what Ryan and Dana have been living out, and I'm sure will continue to be living out. Jesus invites us, as Ryan said, into a life of spreading the gospel. Jesus invites us into a life of service, and service transforms our life. That's what our three-month quarter is all about, is about transformational growth, about being transformed by improving the way that we study the Bible, improving the way that we pray, and improving the way that we serve. Now listen, Jesus invites us into a life of radical service, of doing things for other people that is shocking. And when we have the faith When we trust Jesus to follow Him into this life of selfless service to others, it changes everything. There's two kinds of people that we have to serve, right? There are those on the outside. We talked about loving and serving our neighbors. We even talked last week about something incredibly radical, loving and serving our enemies, Doing good for those who hate us. We talked about responding kind rather than in kind. And so we have to serve those that are on the outside, but we also serve those who are on the inside. We serve one another. We serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. And you might think, well, that's the easy part, right? But you haven't been around all the Christians yet. Yeah, right. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Why? Because the more diverse the church is, the more different people are, the harder it is to love and serve each other because people think differently about things, don't they? Based on their background, based on their culture, based on their personality, people are different. And it's easy to love and serve people that are just like you, but it's hard to love and serve people that are different and that disagree with you. I mean, if somebody, for me, I hate it when somebody says, you're wrong. You're wrong. I disagree with you. But have you ever, show of hands, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. How, how many of you have ever disagreed with another Christian? At, yeah, spoken or unspoken. We all have, haven't we? And it's hard. It's hard when you disagree with somebody and you think you're wrong or they say to you, you're wrong. And you just think they're, they're just, they have no idea what they're talking about. Their opinions, their convictions, their assumptions, they're wrong. I don't know why they think that way. We have people that are Republicans and people that are Democrats. You say, well, hold on, Wes, now we're talking politics. But our faith shapes our politics, doesn't it? People that vote independent, people that don't vote at all. And then when somebody has the audacity to express their opinion, to say, this is the way that I voted or I didn't vote at all, then you think, I can't believe them. I can't believe they did that. They're wrong. I don't know how they could be a Christian and think that way. You know, I've heard people say that. I've heard people on both sides of the political aisle say, I don't know how you could be a Christian and think that. I don't know how you could be a Christian and vote that way. I don't know how you could have a Christian and how you could be a Christian and hold to that opinion. And it gets hard. This is what we do. This is what we tend to do, isn't it? When we disagree with somebody, here's three things we tend to do. We, we tend to one, avoid them, right? When we disagree with somebody, we just say, okay, well, if they think that way, I'm just not going to spend any time with them. If they think that way, and they're wrong, of course they're wrong, I'm right, they're wrong, and and we just avoid them. 
We, we just distance ourselves from them. Maybe we vocalize, I'm not spending any time with you. Or maybe the distance just grows and grows silently. Maybe we stop coming to church altogether. We think, I, I just can't be around those people. They're wrong. <laughs> they don't think right. They have the wrong opinions. They have the wrong convictions. They're right about some things, but these other things. I, I just can't believe that they would hold those opinions. And we avoid people we disagree with. Or maybe, secondly, maybe we push people away who disagree with us. Maybe it's not us that leaves. Maybe it's them that leaves. And we say, you need to get out of here. And, and we're, we're rude or critical or harsh until we push people away that disagree with us. Or maybe perhaps, number three, we create environments of superficial relationships where we just don't talk about what we think. Where we don't work out our opinions and our convictions together. Where we say, let's not talk about politics. Let's not talk about this, that, or the other until there's nothing left to talk about except the weather and the cowboys. And sometimes we can't agree on those subjects either, right? And, and we, we, we get to a point where we just say, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm fine. And we go our separate ways because we can't stand to be around people we disagree with. And we've probably all done all three of these things, haven't we? We've disagreed with somebody because of their opinion, because of our opinion, and we either avoid them, we push them away. So we create an environment where either everybody is the same. Everybody looks the same, and everybody dresses the same, and everybody votes the same, and everybody has the same opinions, everybody has the same convictions, and we don't have the diversity like the first century church had. Or we create diverse congregations that are just superficial, and we don't actually talk about what we really think. We can't actually express ourselves and our convictions and opinions and say, you know what, I've been reading through the Bible and I really think that we ought to do this. What do you think about that? We don't sit down to dinner with people and express ourselves because we're afraid they might avoid us or we might avoid them if we disagree about anything. But church, when I read through the New Testament, that's not the picture of family that I get. In fact, as we look at the book of Romans, that, that's really what the book of Romans to me is all about. It's all about the fact that you had in this church Jews and Gentiles who ate different foods and dressed different and celebrated different holidays and, and they were coming from two totally different backgrounds. Can you imagine coming from a pagan background or coming from a Jewish background and now your faith is in Jesus, the Messiah, but now you have to figure out how do we eat dinner with these people? Because what they eat is different than what we eat. And I kind of have a problem with what they eat. And I kind of think they shouldn't be eating that. And they kind of think I shouldn't be eating what I'm eating. And I kind of think they ought to do things this way. And they kind of think I ought to do things this way. Now, Paul hasn't necessarily told us one way or the other. And I've listened to what Jesus said and the accounts. And, and, and I don't know exactly what we ought to do. But I, I have my opinions and my convictions that things ought to be done this way. And they disagree with me. How? How do we come together and stay together? How do we have a, a tenacious loyalty, a tenacious unity where we say we are family? And, and I disagree with you sometimes. And you disagree with me sometimes. But we love each other. And we're going to figure this out together. And so Paul spends the first 11 chapters laying out how that becomes the case. It's because Jew and Gentile are both 
justified. They're made right in God's sight. They're put in right relationship with God. They become God's family by faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. By putting their faith in Jesus, by being buried with Jesus in baptism, by repenting of their sins and saying, I'm with Jesus, confessing with their mouth, Jesus Christ is my King. And when people do that, regardless of their background and regardless of their weaknesses and their lack of understanding and regardless of their convictions and opinions about all of these other things, when they put their faith in Jesus, they become family. And this is what Paul says. Look at Romans 14. We we don't have time to go through it verse by verse, but let me kind of summarize real quick. And you can disagree with me. That's okay. This is all about disagreement, so that's okay. Um, Here's my summary of Romans 14. Number one, don't quarrel or divide. That's what he really means by quarrel, I think. He doesn't mean don't express your opinions or your convictions, your personal convictions. The dialogismos is the Greek word. I know you don't care. But anyway, it's about reasoning. It's about reasoning about something. And we all do that, right? We all reason about things. You have your convictions. You, you think because of what you've studied and what you firmly believe that, that as a Christian, you should vote this way. Or maybe your conviction is you shouldn't vote at all. It's okay. It's okay. You have that conviction. I, I have my conviction. I'm not going to tell you what they are. I'm not crazy. But, uh, well, we'll get to that later. One on one. Come, come over for dinner. I'll tell you what my convictions are. But, but here's what Paul says. Don't, don't draw a line in the sand. And say, no, 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 you can't, you can't be in our family if you eat these foods. You can't be in our family if you think this way. You can't be in our family if you, whatever. Right? Don't quarrel. Don't divide over your opinions, your personal convictions. The whole context, starting in chapter 14, going all the way through 15, is about welcoming each other. And not to quarrel over opinions. So number two, don't condemn or judge. Don't condemn others over your personal convictions. I think sometimes when we read the word judge, we don't really know what that means, right? Does judge mean don't think something is wrong? Well, you can't really have a personal conviction if you don't look at something and say, well, I think that's wrong. I don't think, I don't think you ought to eat that. Or I think you should eat that. Or I think it's okay to eat that. That's a judgment, right? But you say, don't, don't condemn each other. Over your personal convictions. Mm-mm. Stop. And there's plenty of things that scripture expressly says this is wrong and that's wrong. And, and, and if you do this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, absolutely. If scripture expressly says it, we just look at each other and say, brother, see what it says? Stop. But then there's other things that that's just Wes's personal conviction or your personal conviction. And you don't get to look at your brother and say, you're going to hell because you don't do things my way. Don't condemn over your personal convictions. Number three, don't create stumbling blocks. Here's the other side of that coin. Don't create stumbling blocks by flaunting the freedoms you're convinced that you have. That's not Christian behavior. To say, I don't care what you think. Do you hear what the preacher just said? You can't judge me. I get to do whatever I want to. No. No. Unity is far more important than whatever freedom you think you have. I know you're convinced, you're convinced, you're convicted that you have the freedom to do this. And there's nothing wrong with eating this meat. Fine, that's great. But if you cause your brother to be lost 
If you cause the church to be divided, if you say you're not welcome here so long as you don't think I should eat this meat because I'm going to eat whatever I want to eat, then you're not walking in love. And church, there's a million things we could apply this to, isn't there? And fourth, he says don't violate your personal convictions. If you think it's wrong, don't do it. Don't violate your personal convictions. Only do what you can do by faith. Now, let's look at Romans 15 and verse 1. It's all the same context. Sometimes I hate where they put chapter breaks, right? God didn't do that. We did that, right? So um, I, I don't hate what God did. I hate what we put those breaks in there because then we think it's a totally different subject. We're still talking about the same subject. We're still talking about welcoming each other. We're still talking about unity in the church in spite of our differences of convictions, in spite of our differences of opinions. Church, we've, we've got to do this. We've got to create, not create, we don't create unity. Paul says that we maintain. In Ephesians, he says that we have to be zealous to maintain the unity of the Spirit, preserve the unity of the Spirit by the bond of peace. Jesus brought us together. we got to stick together in spite of the fact that you feel differently about some things than I do, we've got to figure out by walking in faith, listening to what this ambassador of Jesus inspired by the Holy Spirit told the church to do in order to have this unity and preserve this unity. Look at verse 1 of Romans 15. We who are strong, and that's kind of the theme, right? Weak and strong. There's weak brothers and there's strong brothers. Now, that's kind of funny. We, we spend all kinds of time. Now, who are the weaker brothers and who are the stronger brothers, right? Who are the weaker ones? Who are the strong? I love the way Paul expresses this, don't you? He says, we who are stronger. He doesn't say, y'all who are strong and y'all who are weak. Sorry, I'll do it the other way. Y'all who are strong and y'all who are weak. He doesn't do that. He says, we who are stronger. We, we stronger ones. So, in other words, if you're reading this, just assume you're the stronger one. You say, How can I do that? How can I assume I'm the stronger one? That'd be assuming I'm right. You already do that, don't you? (laughs) You already assume that you're right. You wouldn't have that conviction if you didn't assume you're right. You wouldn't disagree with somebody and say you're wrong about that if you weren't assuming you're the stronger brother. So here's a good rule of thumb. If you don't know who the stronger brother or the weaker brother is, assume you're the stronger one. Why? Because listen to what he says. We who are strong have an obligation. That word literally means you owe it to them. If you're stronger and you disagree with somebody and you see something they don't see, you understand something they don't understand. You're both trying to walk with Jesus. You're both trying to be Christians, but there's a difference of opinion, difference of conviction, and you see things differently than them. You have an obligation. You owe it to them. To what? To bear with the failings of the weak. Wow. Church, do we realize how this would turn everything upside down? If you disagree with your brother or sister who's trying to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, and you're trying to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, and you you disagree with some matter of personal conviction, you have an obligation to bear with their failings. You have an obligation to bear with their weakness. 
Why? Because you're stronger. And that's what stronger people are supposed to do. Stronger people are supposed to serve the weaker people. But just think about how different that is than other organizations, than other environments. In other environments, the stronger you are, and the more knowledgeable you are, and the more experience that you have, then you get to call the shots, right? You get to say, you do things my way because I've been around longer. You do things my way because I've got things figured out. You're, you're, you don't even know yet. You just follow me. I'll show you. You do things. I don't care if you disagree with me. I've been here longer. I'm mature. I'm smart. I've got this stuff figured out. And Paul says that's not the way it works in the church. In the church, here's how it works. You who are stronger have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weaker. And not to please ourselves. So easy to accommodate ourselves, isn't it? And that's really what we're doing when we push people away and when we quarrel and we fight or or when we just avoid them, we're pleasing ourselves. Aren't we? I just just want to be comfortable. And they just disagree. And they're just wrong about that. So they just need to get out of here. Because life would be so much easier if there weren't people around here that thought like that. Nope. Our obligation is not to accommodate ourselves. Our obligation as the stronger is to accommodate the weak. And church, this is hard. And I'm not telling you this because I want to. I'm telling you because this is gospel truth. Number two, verse two. Let each of us please his neighbor. Not just please his neighbor. I mean, I'm glad he didn't stop there, right? I mean, it's not just do whatever everybody else wants you to do or, you know, just celebrate everything everybody wants you to celebrate. No, 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 that's not what he said. Listen, because I think this is important. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. What if? What if? What if we took this to heart? What if we said, I am committed to doing what is always in the best interest of my weaker brother. I am committed to serving him and doing what is for his good. I am committed to building him or her up, to edifying them. I'm committed to hanging on to them. I'm going to tell him, brother, this is is what I think. Here's, here's what I think. I, I, I've been reading the Bible and here's what I think. And they're going to say, no, that's wrong. I don't believe that. I don't agree with that. That's wrong. And instead of saying, well, then get out of here because we don't need people that think like that around here. I'm going to say, let's, let's work on that. Okay. Can we, can we go to coffee? Can we go to dinner? Can you come over to the house? Let's get to know each other better. Is that service? Yeah. That's service. That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. Love looks like not avoiding the people you disagree with. Love looks like coming even closer and binding even tighter to the people that disagree with you and the people with whom you disagree. It it could be. It could be. I know it's, it's hard to believe that you might be wrong, but it could be that you're the one that's wrong. Right? And you're only going to know that if you give it time and you let them talk to you and you talk to them in 
love if you welcome each other. Paul is saying this, there, this is the only way this whole Jew-Gentile coming together in one body thing is going to work is if you live this out. This is the only way it will work. And church, this is the only way this Republican, Democrat, independent, non-voter thing is going to work out. This, there's the, this is the only way that white and black and Hispanic and Asian, this is the only way this is going to work out is if we live out this gospel truth that you have an obligation to bear with. You have an obligation to serve. You have an obligation to welcome. You have an obligation to listen to even when they are weaker. Look at verse 3 and then we'll close. For Christ did not please Himself. But as it's written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. Paul always comes back to the cross. And he says, I know this is hard. I know it's hard because I know that what this is going to mean is even though you're free to eat meat, you're going to have to stop eating meat. Why? Because it offends your brother. And you're going to have to stop. And he said, that's not fair. That's really hard. Yeah. But look at what Jesus did for you. Jesus, our King, didn't come to please Himself. He came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. Here's a takeaway. Unity requires the strong to become the servants of the weak. We have to be uncomfortable. And we have to have what's challenging and difficult and be okay with that so that other people don't leave. So that we don't drive people off. We've got to stick together. And the only way unity is preserved is if the strong realize their obligation to bear with the weak. Maybe there's somebody here this morning and you need prayers. Listen, church, I know I say this every week, but we are in this together. I'm wrong about some things. You're wrong about some things. But if we put our faith in Jesus... And we're baptized with Him, repenting of our sins, confessing with our mouth that He is Lord. That's what makes us right in God's sight. I'm not saved because I'm right about everything. And you're not saved because you're right about everything. Thank God. We are saved, thank God, by His grace and by His mercy because of what Jesus did for us. And that's where our unity lies. So if we can pray for you, please let us pray for you. If you haven't put Jesus on in baptism... What are you waiting for? Let's be in this together. Let's live our lives together because what we have in common is far more important than what's different. If we can help you, come forward as we stand and sing.